Today's reading is taken from Book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 19. And if you're following in this thing, your church Bible, that's page 893. Give you a minute to find that. Acts 11, verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. 
And now we're going to skip to verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Carl. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the Bibles are at the back. Uh, do you open it up and let's go through it and let's uh, pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you use people like us. And you use uh, our words to build up your kingdom. But Lord, we, uh, we're keenly aware that our words, our music, all that we do are just our effort unless you uh, use them, unless you, you speak through them. And so, Lord, we, as we come to this text, we pray that you will speak to us and build us up uh, to be the church that you meant uh, for us to be, that we might go and shout your praise um, to Hong Kong and to our neighbors and friends around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I tend to be a bit of a control freak, and so whenever I do something important, I don't want to let anybody else do it. I want to just do it myself. Uh, It's a mystery, though, then, that God is not like that. It's a mystery that God uses people like you and me through the Bible. Rather than doing things himself, things as important as salvation of the world, he uses people like you and me. He could have delivered Israel out of Egypt himself, but he chose Moses, a fallen person, and he uses his staff to split the ocean open. He could have brought a plague or sickness to Goliath, but then he chooses this little kid, David, and his sling to slay him dead. He could have spoken to kings himself, but he uses prophets, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. God could bring and act uh, in this world to bring salvation to the whole world himself. But he uses people like us. Of course, it's still God who is doing it, right? God is the main actor in the book of Acts. He's the one who told his disciples to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, but he, and he's the one who sends them all onward from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, uh, of the world. He's the one who directed Philip to Samaria and to the Ethiopian eunuch and Peter to Cornelius. He's the main actor in Book of Acts. And we're shown that God is in control from the very beginning till the end. As we see at the end of our reading, chapter 12, verse 24, it's the word of God that's, uh, that's acting. The word of God continue to spread and flourish. God is in control. He means for his word to go out, to continue to flourish and spread, and his mission cannot be stopped. But then he uses people like us to do that work. And these chapters give us a glimpse of the kinds of people that God uses, uh, what it takes for us to be used by God. In the beginning of our reading in chapter 11, verse 19, we're reminded that the growth of God's word was, humanly speaking, very unlikely. Remember, back in chapter 7, Stephen was stoned to death. 
and a great persecution broke out, as we're reminded in verse 19. But remarkably, verse 21, through the testimony of those, of those refugees, people who were spread all over, the gospel reached Phoenicia, modern-day Lebanon, Cyprus, the island off of the coast of Lebanon, and, uh, and, and Antioch, which, is the, which at the time was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And there, people preached to the Jews mainly, but also to the Greeks. And the church grew, grew so fast, and it was so remarkable that the apostles from Jerusalem sent Barnabas out to check it out. We're first introduced to Barnabas in chapter 4 of Acts, uh, where we are told that his name was Joseph. His given name is Joseph. He's a Levite, a Jew uh, from Cyprus. But he's called Barnabas. He's called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And we see in our chapter today uh, why he's called that. Look at his reaction in chapter 11, verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Remember in the last chapter, what kind of convincing that Peter needed to reach, to the, reach the Gentiles, right? Barnabas isn't like that. Well, I mean, Peter had done that work. But still, Barnabas goes to Antioch and he starts encouraging the believers. He sees that God had already worked there, that God was acting there amongst the Gentiles. And so he simply encouraged them to remain true to the gospel that they heard. He didn't ask them to obey Jewish law or convert to Judaism. He encouraged them in their faith. He encouraged them in what God was doing among them. And we see the result of his encouragement in verse 24, uh, towards the end of it. A great number of people were brought to the Lord through his ministry. And it's not just there. Look at what Barnabas does next in verse 25. I don't know whether he thought that he wasn't uh, well-suited for this ministry or he couldn't do it or that Paul just was better suited for this ministry. But he goes to Tarsus, all the way to, uh, to Tarsus where Paul was. And who converted probably about seven years ago by this time, and brings him to Antioch. And they together evangelized and taught the church for the whole year. The church grew in depth so much so that in Antioch, for the first time, we're told in verse 26, that people there were called Christians, people who were wholly identified with Lord Jesus. And that wasn't the first time time that Barnabas encouraged Paul, right? Back in chapter 9, when Paul came to Jerusalem, nobody wanted to talk to him because everybody was suspicious of him. Everybody was afraid of him. It was Barnabas who goes to Paul and talks to Paul and gets to know Paul and brings him to the apostles and vouches for him. Barnabas encouraged him in his ministry. And I'm sure many of you have Barnabas's in your life, those who encouraged you in your faith to discover your faith, uh, discover the faith in Jesus Christ, or grow deeper in faith. And that makes a tremendous difference, doesn't it? When people alongside of you, who come alongside of you, encourage you to keep going. You know, uh, without C.S. Lewis's encouragement, J.R. Uh, Tolkien would never have written Lord of the Rings. 
This is what Tolkien writes in a letter about Lewis. The unpayable debt I'd owe to Lewis was not influence as it is ordinarily understood, but sheer encouragement. He was for long my only audience. Only from him did I ever get the idea my stuff could be more than a private hobby. But for his interest and unceasing eagerness for more, I should never have brought the Lord of the Rings to a conclusion. He was encouraged to keep going to write that book, and that has become sermon illustrations for people like me and and, an inspiration for many, many people to continue to explore the world of faith. And it went the other way around as well. Tolkien encouraged Lewis in various ways. When he was struggling with Christianity in 1931, Lewis took a long walk with Tolkien and one other person. They encouraged him towards faith. They talked all night, and at the dawn, by the dawn, Lewis had decided to turn to Christianity. And we've been encouraged through Lewis's writing as a result. And this keeps going. When Reese decided to go to Africa for a whole year, he was encouraged by a lady who came and told him, actually, that he, she was so encouraged by his going. Uh, because he could have done anything with this. He was young, he could do anything with his life, and he decided to spend a year in Africa as a missionary. I have been encouraged along uh, the way through many, many people in my ministry. And I'm so sorry, actually, that I'm not a better encourager. I tend to be a critic. Um, I, you know, I see people who are doing 99 things right, and then they, I see one thing that they're doing wrong. Uh, I don't want to be like that. That's why Mary and I uh, named our first son Barnabas. It's aspirational. <laughs> I want him to grow up uh, encouraging others in their ministry um, and not be, a crit- not be such a critic. Be like Barnabas in Acts. Because the word of God doesn't just continue to spread and flourish by people who are doing the work themselves. It spreads and flourishes through those who encourage others. People who see others' gifts to, uh, and, and urge them on to develop those gifts, uh, de- develop those potentials. Those people who are ecstatic when people see, uh, they see people doing things and things happening and they're just ecstatic and joyful and they encourage them to go forward. They cheer them on. The word of God spreads through people like that. So I wonder if you are encouraging people around you whether you see the potential people, uh, uh, in, in the people all around you, whether you're cheering them on and finding the opportunities for them to serve like Barnabas did. Urge them on. They might not know about the opportunity or how to serve. Uh, point them forward. Invite them for a coffee, for dinner, one-to-one. Tell them about how much you appreciate their ministry and how to, uh, over, over a chat downstairs even today. We don't have to do everything ourselves. But when we encourage each other to use our gifts, to find the potentials, uh, develop those potentials that God has given us, the word will continue to go and flourish and spread. Of course, there is a second group of people whom God uses here too. Those who preach the word despite persecutions and difficulties. After all, it's the word of God that's continuing to spread and flourish. Those who were persecuted, according to chapter 11, verse 19, spread the word, even amongst the Greeks. Then we're told about Peter's rescue uh, from jail to give us the confidence to continue to go and spread the word, despite persecutions and difficulties. 
I don't know if you remember, but this happened once before. We saw it in chapter 5. Uh, if you have a church Bibles, it's 886 of the church, uh, church Bibles. As the gospel was growing in Jerusalem, the Jewish authorities told Peter and the apostles not to speak anymore. Peter answered in chapter 5, verse 29, verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. And they were arrested again. They were flogged for it. And the apostles in verse 41 and 42, they react this way. Chapter 5, verse 41 to 42. They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Of course, this is the reason why they're arrested again in chapter 12, this time by King Herod Agrippa, the grandson of King Herod the Great. We're told in chapter 12, verse 2, that he first killed James, the brother of John, Apostle James. And seeing how that made the other Jewish people happy, that he seized Peter as well and put him to jail. But then a miracle happens. Verse 6 records Peter sleeping between two soldiers. Uh, Usually it's just one soldier that did this, but he's sleeping in between two soldiers. He's bound, we're told, by two chains, and two guards are outside of the entrance. And the angel of the Lord came into the cell and told Peter to go. Peter thought he was dreaming. So half awake, he obeys. He puts on his clothes, sandals, and cloak and follows him. The chains came, chains came undone. They passed through the guards. The gates opened by themselves, and he went to John Mark's house and knocked on the door. And we're told in verse 13 that Rhoda came to answer the door, and that was the only door that he couldn't get through because Rhoda was just so excited she forgot to open the door. She went, ran back inside where people were praying and told, Peter, uh, told everybody that Peter was outside. So Peter continues to knock, And finally, he's brought in. After the story, we don't really hear from Peter anymore in the book of Acts, but we know that Peter continued to preach the word until his death as a martyr in Rome. And why wouldn't he? Right? Through these events, he could be confident that this is something that God was doing, that God wanted him to do, that it's something that God was doing around the world. This is God's mission. It was God who was bringing the gospel to the ends of the world, and it was a God who was using him to do it. God made it clear by rescuing him from the jail cell twice. You know, we can also be confident that God desires all people to be saved. That it is God who has placed us wherever we are to reach our families and colleagues and friends. And if this is what God desires for us to do, this is something that God is doing in Hong Kong and around the world, I want to ask, don't you want to be part of that? Don't you want to participate in that plan? It's not our job to save people. We can't do it. But it is if we never speak, if we never speak the truth of the, of the, the word of God to the people around us, we'll never be used by God to, do, uh, to bring someone to faith. 
The word of God continued to spread and to flourish through those who spoke, who went at the risk of persecution, spoke the word of God. And if you don't know what to say, once again, this is why we're doing this uh, Christianity Explore 1 to 1 training, aren't we? Come and be trained. If you are unclear of the gospel, come to the Christianity Explored yourself. Get clear on the content of the gospel, the word of God. It's only when you believe that the gospel really is the greatest news that you've ever heard, you will go out and speak. And when you go out and speak, God will use those words to bring people to himself. The next best thing, if you can't go out and speak yourself, might be uh, to bring them to an event where they can hear the gospel. Is there anyone you can invite to Friendship Sunday? That's happening on May 20th, in a couple of weeks' time. To Christianity Explored on the 27th, prayerfully go and invite friends. I was reading a book, uh, and it said, uh, it quotes a study done in the UK uh, of 400 adult converts. 92%, 92% of those who had been converted had had a relationship with a Christian before they were converted. 92%, 87% were given some kind of invitation to come to church event. The author of the study found that even when people said no, they appreciated being asked. And it was still a positive thing compared to not being asked at all. I know that sharing the gospel means crossing what Rico Tais calls a pain barrier. Crossing that line that's silently drawn between you and your friends. It means making that relationship slightly awkward, slightly painful as you make that invitation or as you speak of Lord Jesus. But friends, as you cross that pain barrier, God uses those words to bring people to himself. He can do it himself, but he loves us. He wants to be involved in his mission. Don't we want to be part of that? And finally, in this chapter, we also learn that God uses prayer, those who pray, to continue to spread and flourish the Word of God. Prayer is a topic that author of, uh, author of Acts, Luke, uh, speaks of often. In the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus praying at every major event of his life, uh, bef- uh, at his baptism, before choosing the 12 disciples, before Peter's confession uh, that he is the Messiah, uh, after, before the transfiguration, of course, also uh, before going to the cross. Jesus is praying. And it's no surprise that the, the church in Acts also prays before mighty acts of God. And this is a picture. People do this. Uh, if you're wondering what this gesture is, this is called Oran's position. It means this is uh, how they prayed. They had lifted their hands up like this and they prayed. And it's no surprise that the church in Acts is constantly praying. The church that faced persecution in Jerusalem in chapter 4 was praying. We're told in chap- uh, verse 5 of our chapter, verse, uh, uh, chapter 12, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That word translated as earnestly is the same word uh, that's used to describe how Jesus prayed on the Garden of Gethsemane. He earnestly prayed. We saw how God then answered their prayers. When Peter is freed, 
Look where he goes to in verse 12, right? He goes at the dawn. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They were having a night, all-night prayer. They were praying. And Luke's highlighting that this happened because they prayed, because this was an answer to, uh, to their prayers. Of course, this doesn't mean that God will always do what we ask. Presumably, they also prayed for James, but he was killed. Eventually, Peter gets killed. Paul gets killed. But once again, I want to say, if we never pray, if we never pray, our prayers will never be used by God. And what's clear is that God is completely sovereign and he's completely almighty, that he lo- and he loves to use our prayers to further his kingdom, to achieve his purpose. Think about the miracle. On the one side was military power and might of King Herod. On the other side, all that the church had was prayer. And of course, prayer changed the outcome since it was, the, it was prayed to the mighty God. And it was never a contest of power between King Herod and God. And to emphasize that point, we didn't, we didn't have time to read it, um, but do read it on your, uh, on your own. Luke goes on to tell of how King Herod dies in the rest of chapter 12. He's giving a speech. He's giving a great speech, and a, uh, the, the crowds shout, this is the voice of God and not a man. And we're told in verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, the angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. It wasn't just Luke. Josephus records this exact event. Josephus is the secular historian. He records this event as well. King Herod was never a match for God. God is in control of everything. And that should drive us to pray. We know that our prayers are effective because God is the one in control, the one who determines the course of history. And, and, and we pray because God is pleased to answer our prayers and to answer our prayers to accomplish his purpose. Because the church prayed, they got to see their prayers answered. They got to participate in the ongoing spreading of the word, flourishing of the gospel. So let's pray. Let's be a praying church. Pray on your own. If you find it hard to pray on your own, meet with another person in the church. Ask them to meet once a week, once every other week to pray together. Let's pray together. And can I also challenge you to come to the prayer meeting? I do think that this is the most important meeting that we have at Shatin Church. We do it only 12 times a year. 12 times a year, once, once a month. Come and pray. Could you pencil that in? Let's make it our priority and fervently pray to see how God will use our prayers to flourish and continue to spread and flourish the word of God in Shatin Church amongst our mission partners and in Hong Kong amongst our friends and family. If we never pray, our prayers will never be used by God. When we pray, God is pleased to use our prayers to accomplish his purpose. But the word of God continue to spread and flourish. Let's be part of that by praying together. You know, God is doing great things in this world and in Hong Kong. 
His plan is being realized, whether you participate in it or not. The word of God will continue to spread and flourish in Hong Kong. But if you want to be part of that, let's look around. Let's start encouraging one another. Let's start encouraging one another towards, that, uh, the, towards ministry, to use their gifts, to urge them on. Let's continue to go out and preach the word of God. God loves to use our words, spoken in love for him. And let's pray, not to bend God's will to ours, but for us and for our prayers to be used in God's sovereign plan in bringing the world to himself. And as we do these things, we will be used as God continues to spread and flourish the word of God in Hong Kong and around the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereign power over this world, that your will is being accomplished, that your will is being done. Lord, help us to catch the vision of what you are doing. Help us to be steeped in the good news of the gospel, that this is the greatest news that we know of. And Lord, as we see you doing this work around the world and around Hong Kong, Lord, motivate us to participate in that. Help us to see the people around us who we can encourage. Help us to see the opportunities when we can speak the word of God. And help us to be prayerful in all of it, that we might see the joy of us being able to see you using our words, using our prayers for your own good purpose. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.